Austin, you know something that's great about having a podcast with with barely any um, amount of followers or listeners? Uh, we're impossible to cancel. That that is one reason. Another reason, though, I like having basically no audience is you can say things on a podcast maybe several weeks prior things like oh if a, a conflict or war breaks out in eastern europe that you would go to be on the front lines as a reporter uh oh. and you can say that and then if said conflict in eastern europe hap begins uh your mentions aren't suddenly filled with people saying oh when are you shipping out to go report and you know uh, why aren't you doing that pussy uh little pussy liar uh i have none of that whatsoever you know hypothetically speaking um obviously i didn't say anything of that sort and if you think uh i did then uh then you're kind of dumb well you were gaslit clearly i don't by who i'm not sure clearly you were gaslit but um yeah just imagine if if someone on a major podcast a big podcast said something like that you know they would immediately be yeah. just harassed and harangued and thankfully i don't have to deal with that so uh no issues here uh no promises made no promises kept as i always say yeah no i mean uh it's a uh, nice that no one's gonna hold us accountable we cannot I'll be held we cannot be held accountable explain to austin is the only podcast that cannot be held accountable and many have tried few have succeeded and it's that's the way it'll always be welcome to the show everyone welcome to explaining hey. to austin uh it's me, Peyton, uh, or as they call me, um, the gay Unabomber. Yeah, I've often heard people say That's that. That's one of my many nicknames. One of uh, your also joined by, as always, co-host Austin. Uh, also known as Little Shit Boy. Also known as Little Shit Boy. Also known as uh, Fed Kaczynski. <laughs> That's his right, rap. for my notorious ties to the FBI. Right. His notorious uh, ties to the FBI uh, infiltrating radical environmentalist groups. Uh, and helping take down the mafia in the 60s. Right. Uh, I was best friends with Donnie Brasco. Really? Didn't yeah, know that? Yeah, we on the same assignment. So I've heard that, uh, that you, are, you are the person that uh, disappeared Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, I'm also the reason gas is expensive right now. Oh, really? I can't talk more about that one, but that's my fault. Just just letting everyone know that, rest assured, it is your fault. <laughs> yeah, no matter what the news is telling you, don't blame Biden, don't blame the conflict in Ukraine. It's me. I did it. Very interesting. Good to know. And I don't regret it. Oh, okay. Well, I, you I know, I appreciate bad. someone who can stick to their convictions, um, so I appreciate that. The people of New Guinea understand. Okay. Good to know. <clears throat> So, welcome back to the show, everyone. Hey. Uh, took a little break, week and a half off. You know, last week took off. Uh, this week we're coming out later than usual. But, you know, uh, another good thing about having a show no one listens to, absolutely no comments or, or, or remarks from anyone online of, hey, where's the episodes, where's the show? 
uh that's a good thing no accountability once again zero zero you can just miss an episode take a week off do whatever who cares episodes come out when they come out you know what i'm saying you you guys are lucky we're even doing this you're lucky you get to hear the dulcet tones of our voice i screamed a lot at a concert last night so i got that radio voice today austin's got that gravelly deep radio voice the fitness gram pacer test is a multi-stage aerobic capacity test you're uh, welcome. I charge for that normally. They call me, uh, uh, let me see. Bitches call me the fitness gram pacer test because I got them sweating. I get them winded. Because I get them winded and wet. I make their legs weak. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> we got there. We workshopped some, 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 some things and we finally got the right one. That's uh, called live, uh, live workshopping. Right. Anyway, welcome back to the show. Uh, hey. Not the main topic of today, so we won't dwell on it for too long, but uh, just at the beginning here, I would, we would be remiss, I feel like, if we didn't talk about that um, uh, ongoing military war conflict as of yesterday. Yeah, like, war was declared. War, well, I don't know if, is it officially war, or is it just officially, like, military involvement? I don't know if it's technically war. said, apparently in Putin's official statement, it was like, they're peacekeepers right. well, taking military action against radicals. No, for the radicals. They're on the side of the radicals because yeah, those two yeah. regions, whatever, the one with the D and the one with the L, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce them. They are like pro or at least have a contingent of a large contingent or so, some degree of radicals of uh, uh, pro-Russian separatists or something. So they are intervening and helping on their behalf. Uh I will echo what 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 it, some summation of what we said previously on an episode talking about the Russia Ukraine conflict. Uh, in that, um, you know, ultimately, you know, who's the per, the people who are going to suffer here are the like everyday marginalized working people no. of involved in this conflict of of Ukraine, and you know, honestly, the only course of action i think that is moral to do here is to say just ultimately against against the conflict anti anti-war and especially in regards to the united states uh, absolutely anti-interventionalist because i see no way whatsoever that the u.s being involved in this would make anything better whatsoever other than it would make it worse abject like, increase in in the amount of suffering and death uh you know i i name a single time the u.s has been involved in something in the last 60 years that has been of to a positive um you know output uh you are know we arguing against world war ii what no i, I guess that was seven that years. was Shit. longer back than Basically anything since then. Yeah, we haven't been in a justified conflict since then, have we? Just in the last, uh, <laughs> you know, in in the turn of the 21st century. I mean, Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, worse off than probably when we when we when we got there. I'd say mm-hmm. uh, our intervention in Libya, uh, NATO's intervention in Libya, and airstrikes, even though there were not troops on the ground the sanctions and airstrikes in libya literally there are open air slave markets there now uh that weren't there before our involvement so i'd say honestly 
the only right approach in this situation is to say, U.S. Uh, not involve, do not, not our, not our issue. We do. We're not the world's police. We're not. We we have we have no reason to get involved because it's only going to make things abjectly uh, worse. Now I will say, like, unless I'm just like uneducated on the uh, what it actually means, I do. I do think I agree with Biden, like cutting off financial ties and putting sanctions like that. Well, but who is who's that going to hurt? I I feel like the I sanctions are going to think... only hurt the people who are actually. The, the ones affected by sanctions are always just actually everyday people who are getting, you know, because we, we dropped sanctions on places like, That's you true. know, Iraq and places in the Middle East, you know, and it, it, overall, all it does is go to hurt those who, who you know, because those in top, those in power, they're going to still be fine. They're going to get what they need regardless right. of sanctions, while the everyday people of the country who, you know, probably have no involvement in the actual conflict or decisions uh, get hurt by sanctions. So again, I feel like even with sanctions, it's sort of a thing of the U.S. is just trying to 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 pull its weight and get involved in a in a section because you know again this whole thing is tied into NATO with 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 Ukraine and so they want to you know they want to show going against NATO in any way is uh, you know uh, detrimental. So they they want to drop sanctions. So again, I just say that yeah. better if we just involve don't involve ourselves regardless no that's a good point i hadn't thought of it no. like that <sighs> but uh i don't want to dwell on that too long i mean it's important but uh again we're not <laughs> i don't feel like we're the most qualified people to talk about ongoing geopolitical conflict uh well i've already bought my plane ticket oh really well yeah uh sure i bought I'm mine too I'm, i'll definitely see you there it's just I'm a having different to fly flight. into turkey though um because the u.s is not uh, allowing flights into Ukraine and I'm going to hitchhike in. Okay, well, uh, I'll meet you there. Thank wink, you. Wink, wink. Wink, wink, we'll totally be there. So, um, that's some current events. Won't dwell on that too long because that is not the topic of today's episode. No. As mentioned in the previous episode, today we bring you explaining to Austin uh, kind of... Uh, coming to somewhat of a culmination of something that started as somewhat of a bit, somewhat of a joke. Now we're here seriously discussing it, uh, seriously um, having an episode dissecting it, uh, talking about the writings of one uh, Ted Kaczynski. I've heard of him. As well as the letter I have now drafted and intend to type up via the typewriter and mail off to him hopefully in in hopes of getting a response so today we will be tackling what i have read of his over the last uh, week and a half uh, which is mainly um the main ones of course are the manifesto as it's colloquially referred to uh, official name industrial society and its future and then also his publication uh originally released i believe 2016 i want to say um 2015 i think there's been some amendments here and there uh his his i guess you could call it a book i'd say it's kind of a short book or a uh i i guess you could call it a short book of sorts anti-tech okay. revolution why and how and then after kind of explaining my understandings of af have, having read those 
Um, then I will read off and, and get any feedback from you, Austin, on this letter I have drafted that is perspective to be sent out. So that all sound good to, to you? Absolutely. Great. Uh, before we get started, uh, I do want to say, you know, again, neither Austin nor I are in any sense like a political, uh, we don't have any sort of, um, you know, political science training or, you know, anything like that. Not to say that people who do are somehow uh, more equipped or better because, you know, a lot of those people end up just being idiots on Twitter with check marks, getting paid by, you know, media corporations to have absolutely awful takes um but you know we're not professionals in sort of um political theory in any sense uh you know I, i'm not the most experienced person in uh, in dissecting political theory you know it's somewhat of a, a of a minor interest and hobby but certainly not an authority so again you know this is kind of a as as with our conspiracy month topics this is kind of just a perspective from someone who who's more on the layman side of things their perspective left-wing perspective of 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 this of these ideas and what what i think they they represent and mean um you know especially in a modern lens i think you'd agree austin yeah absolutely so you know use this maybe as a jumping off point to read these for yourself read criticism of these works for yourself and uh just learn more about them from all perspectives for yourself using this kind of as a jumping off point, but, uh, don't take our interpret my interpretation as gospel. Uh, just, uh, this is going to no, be we're not a, that smart. going to be a fun conversation di- analysis of this from kind of a hobbyist perspective. So with that being said, uh, you want to jump into this stuff, Austin? Yeah. Let's just jump. Let's just hop on in there. All right. So, you know, I feel like going into this, we all, I know I had my preconceived notions. I'm sure you have your preconceived notions of what his writings of specifically industrial society and its future, what it is, what it entails. Um, You know, what I'm curious to probe right now, what, what your kind of, what do you, as your kind of understanding of what this text um, details, you know, what, what, what is that? Um, Okay. So, Obviously, I have not read any of his works, right? Like, I'm fully uh, uneducated as far as that goes, um, which I figure you know. But um, from what I seem to understand, it's just uh, detailing how how modern technology and, um, like, a convenience culture, I guess, is detrimental overall to society and that it would be uh, largely beneficial if we were like an agrarian society again uh yeah i'd say that's a fairly accurate representation um definitely not definitely uh the what you said is are things he touches on um i and i very much had the same thoughts going into this um so yes i'll say reading this um I did very much see the flaws in a lot of his philosophy that um, I've heard others mention, but I had never actually read for myself. And in actually reading this, um, they are more apparent than I initially um, expected. 
he certainly um, is kind of his own branch of thinking in terms of if you want to describe him as an anarchist in a way, he certainly does not fit in any sort of typical classification. And in this in this text, he actually outright rejects, and I'll go into it, a lot of uh, so-called uh, leftist uh, thought and... and um, You'd put him as like a libertarian, right? I'd say, if anything, he's very much closer to a libertarian. Um, but not the racist kind. Uh, so, and I'll definitely get into that. Um, and if anything, he just seems, he, he, he's, he, I'd say almost hyper-focused to a degree on technology and only technology, not, you know, technology is the beginning and end of, you know, technology is the creator, uh, of the problem. Technology is not a symptom. It's not a result it it is a uh in and itself the 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 creating issue he's, he's very hyper focused on the issue of technology and its uh control on society um industrial society as you would put it mm-hmm. um eschewing all other sorts of societal social problems uh and movements he is he is laser focused on the issues of, of technology. So uh, there are about 27 kind of subheadings, you know, sort of areas in this document. And then he basically, he numbers each paragraph. So that does make it somewhat convenient to be able to be, say, oh, in this section, you know, sec- and this, uh, in, in the introduction section and in the number one, you say this. So it, it, that does make it easy for discussion in some sense. So that's kind of its its actual literal makeup. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll just go ahead and start going into some of it. I'm not going to go into super detail on every part. I'll, I'll stick to the, the broad strokes and the, the parts I think are most important. Um, so he starts out with an introduction, basically, you know, the... Uh, the, the opening line, of course, is the famous, the Industrial Revolution and its consequences have been a disaster for the human race. Um, so he, and he, he continues to say that um, while it's con- con- uh, increased life expectancy of those in advanced countries, uh, it has also destabilized society and made it unfulfilling and it subjects people to indignities and psychological suffering while their physical suffering continues in places like the third world and not to mention the inflict uh the danger it has inflicted on the natural world um and so basically he says technology continues uh it'll just get worse um he says uh that um the there is a possibility that it can break down this industrial uh, technology society. Um, but however, if it were to break down, be it on its own or by revolution or action, it would be, as he says, a long and very painful period of adjustment uh, and only at the cost of permanently reducing human beings and many other living organisms. Um, so uh, he... I, don't need, I don't disagree with any of this so far, I'll be honest. Right. Well, this is just the very the this is just the the broad strokes opening, Um, so 
basically he says uh, we he we therefore because again when this was released it wasn't known if this was an organization doing this this is originally authored just under FC which people didn't know if that was a person an organization so he 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 writes as if it is a group so he does use we so he says we therefore advocate a revolution against the industrial system um basically he, he doesn't specify he says it could be violent or not it could be sudden or gradual um and but he does specify and this kind of goes back to what i said about being laser focused on just getting rid of technology he says this is not to be a political revolution its object will be to overthrow not governments but the economic and technological basis of the present society so this is clear this is sheerly not about uh in his mind about politics or, or ideology or countries. It is purely about getting rid of the f basis of society as it's built on in industry and technology. Sure. So the first or the second thing after that opening is the psychology of modern leftism. Uh, and then he also talks about um, in the next one, the next two ones as well are feelings of inferiority and over socialization. And so in these sections, um, these, this is kind of a main area where I know I disagree with his writing, but he basically talks about, he, he, he opens with saying, um, that kind of modern leftism as a cause, as a, as an ideology or ideologies, um, it represents a lot of the psychology of modern uh, problems in society, because as he views it, um, that socialism and the people advocating for left different types of leftism, um, he, as he says, um, socialist, collectivists, politically correct types, feminists, gay and disabled disability activists, animal rights, and the like, um, he basically thinks that it is kind of a symptomatic result of the uh, psychological pressures that this technological society has created. Um, okay. na namely, he thinks uh, that it is brought on by these two ideas, feelings of inferiority and over-socialization. Now, feelings of infer inferiority is exactly what it sounds like. Basically, that um, the modern leftist is, in his mind... Uh, feels a sense of low self-esteem, inferiority, uh, powerlessness. Uh, these are some of the things he said. Depressive tendencies, defeatism, guilt, self-hatred. Um, and they try to... Um, they try to get exercise these feelings and, and overcome these feelings by turning to um, political leftist action and, and ideology uh so Interesting basically thing. he thinks that um f you know so like fighting for m minority rights you know in this case he he talks about how it, it is sort of um you know this this result of of this feeling of inferiority personal inferiority is then projected onto these minority groups, be it racial or, you know, sexuality, etc. And so that's why the leftist wants to advocate for these groups, not out of a sense of goodwill or whatever, but more of out of a, out of a sense of, um, 
sort of inferiority. Absol- ab- absolving their own sense of inferiority. Um, so uh, he says many leftists have an intense identification with the problems of groups that have an image of being weak, defeated, repellent, or otherwise inferior. They, the leftists themselves feel these groups. Uh, the leftists themselves feels that these groups are inferior. They would never admit to themselves as they have such feelings. But it is precisely because they do these. Gr- they do see these groups as inferior. They identify with their problems. So. You know, basically, that this self, low self-esteem, feelings of inferiority is what is driving many leftists to uh, act, not because of compassion or moral principles, etc. Um, now, to me, obviously, I disagree with this. Yeah. Um, to me, it honestly reads, and I could be wrong, but to me, it reads as like a form of projection, almost. As if, like he's the one projecting, right? Just assuming that all leftists must have this low sense of self-esteem, or else, you know, this—it's this kind of cynical view that oh, they—they they can't be acting out of genuinely wanting positive, progressive change, but no, of course not. That it has to be um, this sense of inferiority driving it, and to me, that just sounds like, if not self-projection, just kind of like a cynical dismissal. And I mean, you know, he does say, oh, obviously this is broad strokes. He talks about in the opening that he's tackling these problems as he sees it without talking about like, oh, the destruction of nature and stuff like that. Because as his view, that's kind of widely understood as a consequence of industrial society. And so he's trying to go into what, you know, he describes as less um, things that have received insufficient public attention. So, you know, this being one of them. Um, so, you know, he, he, he basically says, you know, the masochistic tendencies of left tactics. So, you know, protesting and, 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 you know, uh, basically, you know, protesting and, and putting yourself at risk. Um, it's kind of, again, this self-hatred going into then this topic of over-socialization, which basically he says that in modern society, um, people have, uh, such an extreme he, uh, extreme contact with, with an amount of people um, or socialization, he says, is uh, the term to designate the process by which children are trained to think and act as society demands. And mm-hmm. they say that uh, basically, despite the, the seeming air of revolution and re- rebellion that leftists have, what the actual thing is with them is that they're over-socialized, where they have such this, uh, this feeling of need to obey a, a moral code and obey rules that they are fighting for these, you know, their perceived moral codes and rules. Um, and uh, so, you know, basically... That, uh, you know, oh, in, in this modern society, no one can think, feel, and act in a completely moral way. Um, but, uh, um, 
he's so to, to he says some people are so highly socialized that the they that the attempt to think feel and act morally imposes such a burden on them in order to avoid feelings of guilt they continually have to deceive themselves about their own motives and find moral explanations for feelings and actions in that reality have a non-moral origin so basically more of this you know oh they 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 have convinced themselves they're doing it for a moral reason but it's really not it's really to 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 uphold these rules and structure um so you know more of just kind of this this um you know modern leftism is 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 plagued by all this um inadequacy and and disillusion uh, or you know this uh you know delusion that is um you know they have to help others but it's not actually out of pure morality it's more because of this over socialization and inferiority he specifically says we certainly do not claim leftists even the over social even of the over socialized type us uh, never rebel against fundamental values of society so he does make you know concessions uh that you know this is kind of painting in broad strokes but it, he said he basically this is his you know overall belief about about left-wing psychology which obviously i disagree with and again i i yeah. feel like a lot of it is projection as as we know from who ted kaczynski actually is you know which wasn't known when this was originally put out there you know he is someone who is very secure in himself to the point where he wants to live alone he wanted to be you know completely isolated he very much singularly driven about this one topic and not other social issues so to me it very much speaks to someone who does not understand leftism on a fundamental level kind of using his own alienation from society to therefore extrapolate onto why leftists are doing something that he can't understand which is being uh you know more which is which is you know being um advocates for these minority groups or being um wanting to fight these moral things right so it's like in his mind you would have to have these like mental issues to want to do what you're doing because i don't want to do these so how the hell would you want to do this basically yeah in a lot of ways yes um and he basically says these problems are indicative of society as a whole um which again i disagree with because i i think he's saying i don't think the the leftist ideology is is i think it's very fringe i don't think it is a large contingent of society so it doesn't make sense to me that you can say oh this these problems that are driving people to be leftists are also in everyone when you know then why isn't everyone a leftist in that case which you know they certain no one definitely certainly aren't it's definitely right. not the the majority opinion So um, from there, he goes on to talk about the power process and surrogate activities. And basically, this is just saying that to make, to survive uh, is in, in a, in, to, to, to survive, make ends meet, to have the necessities 
Um, this is kind of like a, if you've heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, this is kind of like the base of Maslow's hierarchy of needs triangle. The, the, what you have to have to survive food, shelter, water, uh, you know, safety. Uh, the power process is is attaining those the effort that it takes to attain you know the the basis of survival the very base kind of animalistic needs and you know how much effort that it requires and he basically goes on to say that you know now uh, everyone is all those things that 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 you need to survive can be fairly easily attained uh, and so people have to find other things that compel them in life and compel them to to continue on because they do not have to fight for their own survival, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, obvious. I, I, again, disagree with this because I think he's discounting the, the large amount of people who do struggle for, for things like food and shelter uh, because of capitalism, because of exploitation and, and, and neglect. Um, and, uh, you know... I do think there is some truth to like this idea that when you have, you know, your base necessities, you do then search for other activities or as he calls them surrogate activities to 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 fill your time. I think that is true. I think when we I think it's a, you know, psychological basis that once we have what we need, we then look for further things to 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 uh, fulfill, you know, our time and, and to bring us a sense of fulfillment. His thing is that this is a bad, mostly a bad thing, that these surrogate activities are, you know, distractions and they're ultimately unfulfilling, that they, uh, in the end, offer little. Um, they, 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 they don't offer the satisfaction that true survival, true power process uh, survival would um w would provide someone um which i don't agree i think that it just speaks to the fact that humans you know regardless of the system they're in if they're being exploited obviously they have less time for activities but uh, the thing like where people say oh in a capitalist society if people are being all paid the same or not being paid how would they do work well i think there's that innate need to want to create and 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 work you know, when it is not an exploitive way. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, you do your hobbies and your, your, your things you enjoy, not because you're being paid or because you have to do it to survive, but because you get a sense of enjoyment. And I think if we were to get to a point in society where you were, did not have to work purely to provide and survive, you would want to still do things, you know, do something that you found pleasure or fulfillment in not out of a monetary or survival sense but out of the sense of you know self actualization and out of self um you know pride out of creative uh you know out of a creative uh, drive out of a sense to help others you know whatever it may be that you would do so but he sees this as a as a bad thing this self uh these surrogate activities are kind of a you know distraction from the kind of state of stasis modern society industrial society has in us he talks yeah. about how there isn't really autonomy in 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 uh this industrial society how it's kind of become one homogenized whole uh and that it you know leaves little room for autonomy um so again he goes into sources of social problems which um kind of talking more about uh 
you know, the psych, what his, his, his identified psychological tolls of industrial society. Um, so, you know, the, this lack of satisfaction, um, let me see. Uh, and, um, I, I, I do like this one. He says, and, and this is part fit section 50. He says, uh, the conservatives are fools. They whine about the decay of traditional values, yet they enthusiastically support technological progress and economic growth. Apparently, it never occurs to them that you can't make rapid, drastic changes in the technology and the economy of a society without causing rapid change in all other aspects of society as well, <laughs> and that such rapid changes inevitably break down traditional values. Which I think that is a valid criticism because it does make oh, sense. How is. can you be for rapid capital? You know, he doesn't say capital because he believes that's a symptom of technology. But for my sake, I'll say capital. You know, uh, expansion or technological industrial expansion exploitation. How can you want to further that? You know, for economic gains of 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 you know those in power, but at the same time whine about you know uh, traditional values because obviously one is going to in a way defeat the other not to say that traditional values are necessarily good but of course if you're trying to you know continue to exploit society ex exploit the populace to further your economic and industrial goals of course that's going to erode uh you know the the sort of classical structure you know it, it's you can't progress one without the other no literally in they decay. Go hand hand. so like... i i do like that and you know uh, he talks more about kind of how uh, technology has led to this, you know, breakdown of, of community and breakdown um, of, uh, you know, of this traditional society, which he, he goes in later and, you know, c continues to argue about how, you know, less tight-knit societies and how, you know, because it's all expanded to this global stage there's less genuine connection and that kind of thing um so uh let me see he talks about how people adjust to this society um how some end up becoming you know driven for power and those are people who you know become those in charge and exploiters because you know they 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 um are adjusting and coping with this industrial society by then kind of turning that harshness onto their fellow man some people mm -hmm. kind of just fall into line and their power process is very much satisfied by just being kind of a worker drone um he talks about advertising uh and and entertainment and how it kind of um you know makes people susceptible and uh sort of acts as propaganda um and so uh let me see where else. Um, and then he talks again about, you know, activities, the surrogate activities filling up people's time. He talks about, he has a section called the motives of scientists, where he says that for the most part, most scientists are not actually acting out of the, uh, you know, benefit for humanity and curiosity, but rather, you know, the need to, uh, you know, the... The need to have their own personal success in this surrogate area, uh, and you know that's advancing science and technology more than the actual goodwill of it. Which you know I think there is something said to be true. Obviously, I would turn it to more of a capitalist lens, where you know I think a lot of scientists are acting more out of uh, 
I, I more than they would like to admit out of the monetary possibilities of their uh, research than the actual uh, whole, you know, the actual, um, you know, empathetic, you know, humanistic right. search for, for, for curiosity and, and growth. So you could say, you know, um, fucking magnets, how do they work? And I don't want to talk to a scientist because y'all motherfuckers lying and getting me pissed. I, I think Ted Kaczynski would agree with insane clown posse in that regard. Yeah, sounds like he might have been a juggalo. Uh, this next section is one I actually agree with some of it. Uh, he talks about how there's this supposed nature of freedom in industrial society, but it's more of a ruse that it's not a real sense of freedom because you are constantly, uh, you know, being surveilled and exploited by, uh, the industrial society. He talks about how, yeah, that's just like true. Yeah, no, this part I definitely agree with. He talks about how constitutional rights are all kind of, um, you know, uh, sort of excuses for one thing or another. So basically, you know, the freedom of the press, it's basically put in place um, because it's, it's, it's a very little use or, or, you know, can be leveraged by the average individual because most media, mass media, is under the control of large corporations and organizations that are part of the system. And so freedom of the press in that regard, like, you know, doesn't actually end up benefiting the everyday person as much. Um and so, uh, you know, it, that if you do have your own small publication by an everyday person, it's swamped by the, the volume of material put out by mass media. Um, and so basically, you know, uh, he says constitutional rights are useful up to a point, but they do not serve or guarantee much more than what might be called bourgeois conceptions of freedom. So a free man is essentially an element of a social machine and only has and has only a certain set of prescribed and determined freedoms. So, you know, it says, uh, so the free man has economic freedom because that promotes growth and progress of, of the economic system. Uh, they have freedom of press because public criticism restrains misbehavior by political leaders. Uh, he has the right to fair trial because imprisonment at the whim would be bad for the system. Uh, and so, like, it basically all of these rights were afforded by, you know, it, for instance, the Constitution. They're actually, you know, they, they seem to give us something, but they're, it's actually all in service of, of, of the system, of the exploitation, rather than the actual person getting the rights, if that makes sense. No, that doesn't make sense. Which, again, I think that part is certainly, I think that has a lot of truth in it. Um, he, he talks about his principles of history, basically uh, summarizing um, small changes uh, tend to end up not having long-term effect and history or society reverts to its original state. Um, the second principle is that um, something has that can be large enough to permanently alter, like a, a, a change or a movement or something that permanently alters uh, history and society. Um, uh, will change if it changes if a substantial thing changes one major part of society, all other parts will then also be changed. So, kind of if you change one thing majorly. Uh, he says, in other words, a society is a system in which all parts are interrelated and you can't permanently change any important part without changing all other parts as well, which I think I think these principles have a lot of validity in them because that makes sense as well. You can't, you know, I, you can't overthrow technology without then also that affecting 
economy and and poli- mm-hmm. and politics it, that makes sense third principle um if it's something that's big enough large enough to uh be long-term change the consequences for the society as a whole cannot be predicted in advance this one I don't agree with as much. It's basically saying you cannot, if it, the revolution beyond overthrowing and permanently changing the system as it is, you cannot predict or try to structure the result beyond overthrowing it. So, you know, oh, if we overthrow technology and industry, uh, we, we can't try to plan the society that comes afterwards. Uh, it'll just sort of happen on its own. Uh, oh, yeah, I don't agree with that. Uh, the fourth principle again kind of the same thing as this a new kind of society cannot be designed on paper that is you cannot plan out in advance so you know those kind of go together the third and fourth you're basically saying that uh complexity of human society is is, is, you can't plan it which again i don't agree with and then people do not principle fifth principle people do not consciously and rationally choose the form of their society societies developed through the processes of social evolution and are not under rational human control uh, again that kind of goes along with that as well so so i don't necessarily agree with those last two but i do think that his ideas about change and how change affects society in the first and second principle i do think those um have some validity with with the scale that kind of goes back to small change or reform you know that's the problem with 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 liberals so to speak they want to reform capitalism yet right. the reform always will mean capitalism is still existing or it reverts back and 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 whatever changes is minimized in some other way while a true overthrow while a true revolution is that substantial change that will then have results on everywhere in society so i think that it, more of that he talks about industrial technology and society cannot be reformed uh, basically saying, you know, what I just said, that it can't be chained to reform because it will uh, not be permanent, it will revert back, um, and it will, uh, you know, kind of uh, not long last, so why it can't be reformed, it has to be overthrown. Then restriction of freedom is unavoidable in an industrial society. So basically, similar to that part about the Constitution and stuff, that... Uh, Despite what it seems to be, as long as you're in an industrial society, you will have restrictions of freedom. Again, because as we mentioned, he's very much like in that libertarian mindset where the most important thing is personal autonomy. He doesn't, and this goes back to a leftism problem he has. He doesn't like any form of collectivism or or group um, kind of movement, uh, not movement, group kind of uh, sacrifice or group thinking because he very mm. much he, he very much values this personal sense of, of of freedom that he feels which is why industrial society specifically not just like the system that it that it creates is is the issue because as long as there's this industrial society uh you can't just be um singular um so bad the bad parts of technology cannot be separated from the good parts which again that's basically kind of like a you know you can't reform it sort of thing uh and um technology is a more powerful social force than the aspiration of freedom um so basically that uh technology will unless taken down it will outlast these personal freedoms it will become all-consuming um, and at some point it will be, you know, it will be preferred to freedom. Um, 
so, re- yeah, so a lot more of the th- same about, you know, revolution over reform. Um, and um, that he thinks human suffering, like, from uh, industry and technology will kind of be a catalyst that will motivate people to want to, um, you know, revolt and, 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 and overthrow this technology. Um, uh, he goes into strategy, which, again, it's, it's kind of talking about... Um, uh, he, he, he kind of talking about his, his strategies, which are... Um, I'll talk about more in his anti-tech revolution thing, but just some of them are, um, you know, harnessing that kind of societal discontent um, that uh, you you have to harness that social stress and instability to then propagate the ideology that opposes technology. Um, so kind of harnessing that social unrest and then mm-hmm. propagating on top of that to inspire people. He talks about how um, nature is a good kind of rallying point because people can very much identify and be inspired by nature as the right. kind of rallying point. Um, you know, he calls it a counter ideal to technology. Um, that uh, you know, he he addresses the the negative consequences of eliminating industrial society and so stuff like oh yeah, there there will be you know you know suffering and 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 uh, uh, you know whatnot because of as a result of of overthrowing this but ultimately um it will be worth it type of things which i disagree with um and then he again kind of towards the end here he talks about again the danger of leftism basically saying oh in our movement we can't have leftists because they're ultimately collectivists and not for individual autonomy and freedom (laughs) uh you know they they ultimately have this need to seek power and that uh you know once leftists come to power they then are okay with industrial technological society it's just that uh you know their perceived thing of capitalism um, so basically, he, he, he says, you know, oh, this, this can't be um, have leftists in this movement, which I talk about in my letter because I, I, I have questions for him in regards to that. Technology is perfect. Technology is perfect. Technology is perfect. Technology so, you know, that's the broad strokes of this. And what I, the main thing I took away from it, or my main question or issue, is that he seems to think, or he is of the belief that technology is the, is not a tool, is not a symptom. Technology is functioning in and of itself, not motivated by any sort of ideology or, or goal or, or political ideal but it exists in a vacuum that that technology and industry exploits and and exists for the sake of itself which i don't think is true i think that capitalism has birthed modern technology and industry as we know it and that because of capitalism is why industry and technology is being exploitative and is you know and is having this negative effect on people in society it is a symptom of capitalism and not as he says the other way around i i simply don't understand it and and possibly maybe i misunderstood something but i don't see how he just has this idea that somehow technology and industry itself is the ideology is the motivation 
but I don't understand how you can just think, oh, uh, you know, technology and the industry is exploiting and, and negatively affecting people, not for capitalism, not for the gain of, you know, the few in power, but just for its own benefit. Like, I don't understand how he views it kind of as this, like you said, in a vacuum, as its own kind of singular thing that is not a symptom of capitalism. Right. Which, that that's my main issue, is I, I don't understand his his isolation of technology and industry from any other sort of ideology, that it's its own thing. Um, in Anti-Tech Revolution, he talks about more of the same, uh, you know, I'm not going to go into stuff in too much of detail, uh, but he talks a lot about more of the same about, you know, technology. He, he says that he thinks that, again, technological system will create this strife among the populace, and that can be harnessed. He talks a lot about how he doesn't think his revolution movement or, you know, people, this anti-tech revolution would be a large group, but rather a small group that then is able to kind of exacerbate the issues and prompt the revolution from the rest of society. He honestly, in this... Which I mentioned in the letter, he quotes a lot of like left wing figures, and he claims it's purely for the revolutionary tactics, not the ideology. But I mean, he quotes you know Lenin and Mao and Castro and uh, Marx, and it's lots of left wing quotes. Um, yeah. I I wanted to he he talks about his you know perceived errors to avoid in um, starting the revolution. Uh, which again is a lot of uh, don't be too uh, you know beholden to some sort of ideology. Uh, you have to have action. Um, you have to avoid corruption. Um, you know he again warns against allying with you know left wing people or anarcho primitivists. Um, he talks about um, and I mentioned some of these things in in my letter and I'll specifically describe them um he talks about tactics for revolution about how to you know motivate the group i did want to read he has a, a in the appendix he talks about how he was written this letter from an editor of a student newspaper at a college asking um that uh economic competition under capitalism encouraged the development of technology and asked me whether it would therefore be worthwhile to spend time and effort on eliminating capitalism. Um, and basically in this response, um, again, he says, um, that while they are intertwined, um, again, that, 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 that destroying just capitalism in itself would not necessarily destroy technology and industrial society at this point and so it's not um useful to try to just focus on capitalism which again he has this thing that like no matter he thinks that no matter what ideology is in control be it capitalists or you know some sort of theocratic sense or you know, monarchy re-emergence re if it were to happen <laughs> or you know obviously the left-wing socialists since he thinks that no matter who is in control as long as the current sort of system or even the existence of any sort of large-scale industry or large-scale technology there is going to continue to be suffering and exploitation which i don't agree with because i think again it's driven by uh i think it's driven by ideology on whether or not the system is using industry and technology negatively 
his problem is that he ha- thinks technology and industry is inherently um, negative to human life and freedom and nature when I don't think it necessarily has to be. It, I think the problem is that it was created and came up and birthed in the exploitation and suffering of capitalism and therefore has largely been tied to it. But I don't think it inherently has to be tied okay. to that. If do, do, you, do you understand what I mean by that? Yeah, I think so. It's just that's the main thing we – since its birth, that's what it birthed capitalism birthed industry and technology and because of that it has most prevalently been used as exploitation as a negative thing but i don't think that technology and industry in of itself is characterized i don't think it is moral good or bad i think it is but a tool that is directed by the by the system it's under so i think it could be utilized for good whereas Ted thinks that no matter who is in control, it will find a way to be um, utilized for, for, for negative impact on society for human suffering, which I okay, disagree yeah, yeah. with. Yeah, um, no, I hear you. That makes sense. So again, that, that's my main complaint with his ideology is that, and then again, the leftism stuff, which I think is largely uh, a misreading or, or almost projection um, of modern problems onto leftism out of kind of a cynical point of view. Um, so that's kind of a very, very, you know, broad strokes overview of some of his writing. Um, I'm curious to hear what you think. Yeah. I mean, like, it's interesting. I didn't realize he was like that hard anti-left, mm-hmm. you know? Um, well, I think weird. that's got somewhat kind of got diluted among his, you know, I think he was, you know, being the anti-technology, anti-industry guy, sort of the nature environmentalism thing, uh, you know, was what became the main thing in his uh, to the right. to, to to the cultural zeitgeist. Even though that's not what's in the actual text. Right. I just think it's interesting that, like, for someone who made his whole thing a war against technology and like industrial revolution, he didn't consider technology a tool. Right. It was, like, just its own thing. Like, an element that just exists. Right. And, yeah, yeah, like, I don't think technology and, like, industry is inherently an evil thing. Right. It's, like, how it's managed and controlled that, like, is bad, right? Right. That's what, yeah, that's what I was... Like, yeah, that's what you're saying. If workers own the means of production, then, like, it's benefiting them right like i don't think there's an inherent morality to technology and industry right like if like a factory is like a neutral thing right right but if it's owned by like a small group of people who are exploiting the labor of the working class that they hire then yeah it's it's an evil thing but if that working class if that group of workers are all partial owners of that factory and they get profits then no, it's not an evil thing, right? Right. Yeah, I, I'm of that opinion as well. He would say, oh, but the work they're doing in the factory, you know, isn't the true fulfilling thing that they should have in their life. Uh, you know, it's still a form of, of exploitation. They shouldn't, the factory <laughs> shouldn't exist at all. It, so it's like he's got, like, not just strong opinions on technology, but, like, also, like, strong opinions on how 
everyone needs to live their right. life. And if you're not living your life like that, then you're lying to yourself because clearly nature is the answer. It's like, dude, other people can be fulfilled right. through industrial work. Like, like for, speaking for myself, working a dinner shift that's busy in the kitchen is really fulfilling. Like, right. it's stressful the whole time, sure, but, like, by the end of it, I feel good. Yeah. And, like, I feel satisfied knowing that I did something good. Yeah. He kind I don't of like has... nature that much. I li- I, re- I respect nature. <laughs> but, like, I don't want to be outside that Yeah, much. you don't get the fulfillment from nature that he seems to allocate onto every person. Like, um, a walk through the woods is, like, cool and, like, yeah, sure. Like, I like seeing the pretty stuff, but, like, I'm good. He, you know? he, he Yeah, like you said, it's not only about technology. He kind of has this, like, naturalist, almost, like, evolutionary sort of theory about humans and how we're more predisposed to being happy if we are in a self self uh reliant sort of you know self uh survival nature setting you know small scale agrarian setting as opposed to any sort of society which again is his problem with communists because again it's like a communal ideal rather than complete sort of autonomy right it's like People are allowed to like other things, Ted. Which I think maybe this is complete, you know, obviously it's speculation. I don't know. but And maybe it's bullshit. But I can't help but feel this has to somewhat come out of, um, you know, his his background as a mathematician. Because to me it feels very this, – this, this does feel very kind of STEM-driven or like sort of the rigid – constraints of math sort of that it seems to fit with this sort of rigid constraint he's talking about where you know uh oh technology is inherently like a negative thing i I don't know is this making like i don't i don't know maybe i I don't know how to phrase this or explain it but i can't help but feel this kind of rigid view of these beliefs feel like they're driven you know where where tools like technology and industry are is an inherently bad thing feels like it's driven by kind of this math mindset where it's like oh something is either you know a, a positive or negative it can't be uh, it can't be like this the result or this you know a, a a tool or symptom of a ideology like it is just inherently positive or negative like maybe this this is maybe this is kind of complete like just uh, you know, philosophical, psychological spitballing, but I feel like there might be some sort of math connection, or like that's how his brain thinks. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, all that being said, do you want to hear what I have written in terms of this letter? Oh, I would love to. All right. So I tried to keep it as concise while also being, you know, descriptive enough to, 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 I don't know, feel like I explained these ideas and warranted a response. So Mr. Kaczynski, over the last several years, I have grown increasingly interested in your life and writings, mainly their continued relevance to a society of ever prolificating technological control and oppression. Given the unfortunate recent news of your medical condition, I figure I should at least try and reach out with the questions I have for you while I have the chance. While I have major disagreements with 
uh, some of your ideas and writings, namely in your characterization slash dismissal of leftists. I assume you would categorize me as the over-socialized, low self-esteem type. I still find your work in, works interesting, and as you described in section 28 of chapter 4 of Anti-Tech Revolution, being that I consider myself a revolutionary uh, student of revolutionary thought, there is value in studying other revolutionary thought slash movement. In that section of chapter four, he kind of just talks about how, oh, I'm, I'm talking and using quotes from leftist figures like Lenin and Mao, not because I agree with their thing, but because there's, you know, it's important to study and learn from former revolutionary movements. So I kind yeah, of like use he's that. treating it like the art of war by Sun Tzu. Right. Well, th and that's what I kind of say here is like, I don't agree with your stuff, but I do think it's interesting to analyze and discuss, which is why I yeah. Right, which is why I'm interested in why I'm writing. So I say from there, my main query for this for you is this for the theorized anti tech. And this is because I actually like reading. I'm like, I had this thought and I want to know what his actual thought is on this. For the theorized anti-tech revolutionary movement you have advocated for, who are you viewing as the members? I ask this as in your writing, I feel you have detailed who is not fit for said movement, but not who is. You have clearly documented your rejection of leftists, stating their incompatible nature to your movement, as in sections of industrial society and its future, like the danger of leftism, leftism and in section 25 of chapter 4 of Anti-Tech Revolution. You have refuted anarcho-primitivists and so-called eco-fascists. Again, he thinks both of those um, anarcho-primitivists are too driven by, again, sort of social... The anarcho-primitivists are still driven too much by, like, social, like, oh, it would be better for human rights and, and stuff like that, if, uh, you know, gay rights and, and individual freedoms if we if we got rid of technology. He thinks that he still views that as too, like, politically motivated. And then uh, same with eco-fascists, where, like, the whole idea of, like, uh, sort of the, the inherent white supremacy of eco-fascism, again, is distracting from you know, counterproductive to the actual technological revolution. So anyway, right. you have also refuted anarcho-primitivists and so-called eco-fascists. The only real indication of where to find suitable agents of your revolution is in Anti-Tech Revolutions Chapter 4, Section 29, where you describe reforming members of radical environmentalism to your cause through propaganda and infiltration of their organizations. While I understand you have written how a small but dedicated passionate revolutionary movement is better than a large but docile and immobile one, uh, Anti-Tech Revolution Section 15 of 4, uh, I still feel confused as to how only transforming some very small number of environmentalists to this cause would be enough. So basically, who is he thinking because for this revolution is going to be involved? Is it... You know, because he outright rejects left-wing people. He rejects, he obviously doesn't want, like, doesn't think far-right people. Uh, so, like, I, I, I don't understand who he thinks is the mobilized, uh, you know, revolution, you know, the people of this movement. If he, right. by, he seems to want to preclude all these other things uh, while not left, is, while not actually providing who could be radicalized for this movement. Um, so then I say, in addition to this question of numbers, I also ask this. Do you truly think that there can be a revolutionary movement that is not in any way leftist or progressive in nature? While acknowledging my inherent bias as a leftist, it seems as if the only successful revolutions, those not in any way backed by corporate power or status quo, have been of the progressive nature. The anti-tech revolution section 23 
in anti-tech revolutions section 23 of chapter 4 you even admit how communist revolutions have been most effective have been the most effective of the 20th century with with all that you quote from left-wing revolutionaries like Lenin, Mao, Cas and Castro, does it not seem to you that without the motivating cause-slash-force of, of left-wing progress and social change, a revolutionary movement would struggle for movement or for motivation on a large productive scale? So basically saying, do you really think a non-left-wing revolution could happen? Because to me, I can't think of a revolution is inherently left-wing because it is inherently against the status quo. So how could a non-left-wing revolution find substantial uh, momentum and and power? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so those are genuine questions that, like, you know, I, I do am curious to hear his take on being that I have these disagreements with him. Um, so I go on to finish and saying, those are my questions for you and hope there is a possibility I might receive some form of answer, though I understand given your condition and little time, <laughs> the unlikeliness of it. Regardless, I appreciate you taking the time to read this letter. Again, I do find value and interest in the study and interrogation of your writings, even though I do disagree with you in many ways. On a final personal note, in regard to your health, I, all I can offer is your own words from section 168 of Industrial Society and its future which I feel you have accomplished, quote, we all have to die sometime and it may be better to die fighting for survival or a cause than to live long but empty purposeless life. Damn, I like that. Seems like a fitting way to end it. So then I, then I you know, sincerely Peyton Brock and then I do a little PS as well. I say, as a younger person raised with us on technology, I do quite enjoy writing via a typewriter. Perhaps it is because it takes more effort than using a word processor program, therefore being a surrogate process that is more fulfilling, which is kind of like a, I don't know, yeah. just a little like a, a cheeky little joke about his, about his thing about fulfilling surrogate, pro uh, you know, processes. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my letter. What do you think? I think it's really well well put. Your writing is, like, really, like, solid and, like, well uh, thought out, clearly. I, yeah, thanks. Um, you know, I just, I honestly just thought of two questions that, as someone who is interested by his writing but ultimately disagrees with the um, nature, you know, those felt like two questions that, like, without outright being, like, I disagree with your assertion that technology is... Uh, you know, inherently bad in itself and not because of capital. Like, obviously, like, he he's explained why he thinks that that's the case. I'm not going to elicit a response by saying, you know, something that he's already explained his reasoning. So these are two questions that, at least in the in his writings I've read, he doesn't explain, and I'm curious to know his, his explanation for, even if it's something I disagree with. No, it makes sense. All right, Austin. Well, uh, that's my sort of brief analysis of mr kaczynski's writings and my letter to him which i'm gonna type up and send off and we can cross our fingers that maybe we'll hear back from him yeah i mean that'd be crazy uh for us to have joked about writing to ted kaczynski or so early on in the show and then now here we are i think regardless of what you think if we were to somehow hear back and then I can just have like a framed response letter from him, that would just be like a really weird, cool thing to have. Oh, like absolutely. just like a neat thing to be like, yeah, here's my letter from Ted Kaczynski. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I hope everyone listening, I Austin, first off, I hope you, 
uh, found it interesting what I had to. Oh, absolutely! I, I know I was doing most of the talking today, so I hope you yeah, it was like an older episode. Found some interest. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Compared to our recent stuff, this is a little more dry, a little more. Um, this is season one. Informative. Uh, you know, this isn't obviously for the most part. We're going to be sticking with what we've been doing, but I felt like it was okay to mix things up and do something a little different, a little interesting about a, a topic that's been kind of on our mind on the show for the last uh you know year of it existing well uh with that austin i'll say um you know uh i gotta go now and uh you know i'm i gotta go wallow in my low self-esteem as a leftist and 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 look for ways to to uh absolve my feelings of of inadequacy (laughs) yeah and i'm gonna um wake up tomorrow morning and um go to work and um uh, pretend like my industrial uh, bakery job is fulfilling to me. Yep. When really uh, the whole time I've, I'm sub- wishing I was in nature. Subconsciously. Subconsciously. Even obviously. if you don't realize it. Yeah, I'd rather be cutting down trees with an axe. Yep. Well, uh, thanks for joining us, audience. I hope you found something interesting from our discussion today, this analysis, even if it's just uh, piquing your interest in the topic. And, uh, you know, hopefully you'll hear from us next time. If not, uh, you know, nuclear war has, has wiped out populations of, of the world uh, because in of which case you better be saving your bottle stupid ass border dispute in Eastern Europe. So, you know, I'm, I'm honestly fucked if that happens. I'm in L.A. That's like probably yeah. one of like the top like That's 10 city. top five, top 10 targets for sure. Yeah, I'm and like moderately okay, I think. I, I feel like there's probably a hundred percent, there's like definitely Russia has like nukes on like the like far end uh, tip of like the east that can like oh, reach California. Sure. So um, yeah, so if you don't hear from me, uh, I've been, uh, I've either been, you know, atomized by the bomb or I've been horribly mutated into a, you know, fleshy mass of cancer. Right. Maybe you'll be a mutated uh, super mutant. Uh, well, I think it would mostly just be that I, you know, I'm like a puddle of flesh that's yeah. writhing with with tumors. Probably, yeah. So, uh, it, until next episode, or until that happens, uh, so long. Goodbye. Technologic. 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 Buy it, use it, break it, fix it, trash it, change it, melt.